Welcome to the Blur and Blend Marketing Podcast. Hear how marketing professionals worldwide are navigating in the blur of today's challenging consumer marketplace as they blend new age strategies and partnerships that create marketing success. Here's your host for the B&B, marketing professional and global educator, Trish Rubin. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Blur and Blend Marketing. My podcast is really suited for this time. I believe in it so much, and I named the podcast before COVID and the pandemic. This is a podcast that consists of guiding stories from people who are tops in their field of marketing and branding and communication, and they offer us a journey where we can learn from them in a frame that has us looking in the rearview mirror of that journey first see where they've been, the hindsight. And then we talk about insights that they want to bring for us in the now of the journey. And then look a bit ahead. We don't know how far ahead we can forecast, but look into the future and talk further about what lies ahead. And if you're a marketer, you'll hear this conversation in a way that might be different from uh, the way a, a, a lead educator might hear this. They might be getting some very subtle cues about how they can use marketing to help themselves become better communicators. Always, I invite my students to not only listen, but to bring their thinking back into the uh, classroom of the Zoom room right now, where they share their responses to these wonderful guests. So that's what I'm about. And I'll tell you who's with me today. Uh, again, through the power, and I've, I speak a lot about this, of networking, uh, I'm able to bring you two people who are, are experts in their field, and they're going to talk to us about the idea of behavior in very specific ways that are suited to the work that they do uh, and their backgrounds, which you'll hear more about when we look in the rearview mirror with them. But first, let, I will first introduce uh, Sylvia Catone, because if it weren't for the lockdown, I would not have been the pleasure, have the pleasure of even knowing her. And I was able to attend a virtual seminar very early in the lockdown, March, we imagine. And I learned so much from her that I immediately reached out and she was so good enough to connect with me on LinkedIn. And we formed a nice relationship, which continued uh, into my classroom where she has spoken. One of the things we know people who are generous about building their network and, and just generous about connecting in the, in the way Seth Godin is making people better versions of themselves is when you meet people like these people that I bring to you for Sylvia, first thing she said in the conversation was, you need to meet uh, Dr. Terry Wu. And I thank her for that. She generously told me why that would be somebody who might be interesting uh, for me to know and help me to form that connection. So uh, that, that's why I'm, I have Dr. Terry Wu, who is fresh off a presentation this morning that we listened to. Sylvia's in Italy and I'm in New York and we listened uh, from Minnesota uh, due to a presentation that Terry did earlier um, for the Small Business Association. So it's been a great day of learning. So um, I'll welcome you. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me here, Trish. It's so nice to be here and talk a little bit with you. Thank you. Terry, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Trish. Yeah. Nice meeting you, Sylvia, and the first, for the first time. Yeah, hi, Terry. That's true. Yeah. yeah. To talk about the power of uh, networking online, I've never seen you both, but it's so nice because we created this, such a great relationship, and especially with uh, Terry, because he gave me a lot of real good tips for me to grow in my career, and Trish, because you gave me so many uh, opportunities since we met, we e-met, basically. Yes, yes. So I, I feel that we have formed... Um, this kind of connection, we were speaking, and we'll continue to speak about this, I think, in the podcast, how uh, open you, you can be to really accessing and not just taking information, but 
but building collaborative, uh, innovative ways of thinking. And, and I think we're going to learn a lot out of this uh, difficult time, and it will change the way we not only do business, but the way we create um, very deep relationships. So let's continue uh, with that theme. And uh, my listeners who have listened to other podcasts know that uh, we generally put the guest behind the wheel. And so we're going to do use that framework, which has worked well for us, of hindsight and insight. So I'm going to have each guest take us down the road a bit. And I will ask them about what they see in the rearview mirror, about what they're talking about, where this topic has come from, where they've come from, too. We all love the stories about people's lives. And then I will ask the guest to tell us some uh, insights that they're learning out of this time, probably things that they didn't even think about a year ago. And then following that, our our next guest will share uh, hindsight and insight. And then we'll leave, and this was a great uh, suggestion by Sylvia, to let's have an open discussion then about what's coming. So foresight, what's happening in the future as far as we can see. So get ready for that. And I'm going to ask you now, a group, you can just um, jump in the back seat. <laughs> and I'm going to give, um, Sylvia, let me give you the wheel first. You look like a capable driver. <laughs> Very so great. <laughs> So my question is, as you get in and you adjust to drive, to to be a guide, the first thing we must do, one of the first things is look behind us. So if you think about what you're doing and who you are, can you tell us a little bit about what you see in the rearview mirror about yourself and about what your topic is, what your interest is? Mm -hmm. I have to say, actually, that I have kind of a mixed background because I have a lot of interests and I always try to 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 learn more about all the interests that I had. So at the beginning, like when I started to be interested in marketing, I also liked languages. So I wanted to study both. It was like I, I can't decide of one, so I need to study both. And I was actually lucky because I found a bachelor degree that allowed me to study languages and marketing. Um, so that's how I started. And the thing is that while you keep on uh, studying and learning, you can learn or you can see there, maybe there are some things that can miss in what you're learning. And in my case, it was that I was studying consumers and consumers' behavior, but I saw that there was something missing in the sense that we weren't really looking into people's mind. We were really understanding how people were thinking where um, what motivated their behavior actually so you know in academics world it's hard sometimes like if you don't get some guidance to uh, to learn more or to see the future as other people are actually seeing it um, so I started to dig into it and uh, I started to learn that people have kind of different way of rationality i mean the concept of rationality wasn't something that is uh wasn't the one that we normally study in the economic in standard economic models mm-hmm. and this actually fun fact <laughs> i actually like learned it uh while i was still in high school because i was oh, seeing that God. yeah <laughs> actually like i didn't know at that time of course the theory i didn't know that um as Herbert Simon says, we are bound. We have a, a bounded rationality, so that we have limited attention, we have limited capabilities, limited time to process information. I didn't know that at that time, but I was also always seeing that uh, when I was doing very difficult math calculations, I had a friend, uh, my uh, classmate. She was always talking to me while while my mind was basically busy in doing very hard stuff, and. I couldn't hear her, like literally not hear what she was saying. And she was always getting upset. And I was like, why, like, what is going on? Why I can't listen to her while I'm doing other stuff. And then after a few years, kind of a lot of years, I understood that our way of thinking has two different systems, right? So system one and system two. And this is something that uh, was already discussed uh, in, in the past years, but Daniel Kahneman uh, brought it back up with uh, his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. And uh, there he talks about these two 
systems. So basically the system one is the deliberative system. So it, it takes effort and uh, you really, it, it's the one that you use when you're doing math calculation, basically, or when you're learning to drive, for example. So normally when you're learning to drive, you're not very capable of talking as well. So you can do two things because you're very into what you're doing. But then there is the system one, which is the more, the automatic one. So the one that doesn't really need effort. And in this case, as I'm driving right now, I'm actually also talking. So I'm using my system one and I can do both things at the same time. <laughs> Wonderful. Always. Success, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let, let, that's something that you can actually understand from, from the way you live. No, um, you can analyze your own behavior and then understanding that there is actually some uh, under like some theories about it, some new um, a new discipline in this case is behavioral science that uh, it's trying to um, apply this context of uh, boundary rationality, system one, system two into economics, finance, marketing, and and so many other fields. Um, so basically. I didn't know at that time, but fortunately, um, I started to be very interested in it, especially in applying this in uh, into marketing, which is my interest, my main interest. And uh, because of that, I came into, I, I mean, I moved to Scotland to study my master. So I'm actually from Italy, but kind of traveled the world <laughs> to learn more and more. <laughs> But I think that this, this part of behavioral science is such, something very important for marketers because we can see that, you know, attention is something very scarce. It's a scarce resource. And probably marketers not always, as not always consider it. So maybe sometimes companies try to sell more and more options, more activity alternatives to, to their customers. But this can also... This is called choice overload, and this can definitely bring to people not even to buy it at all. So the more options you sell, you you offer, doesn't mean that you sell more. And this is something that should be really taken into account by marketers in this in this ages, especially in within the digital area where we get so many information, so much information on anything basically. Yeah, and so I like what you're saying too because. The, the audience, too, I, I always point out, like, the, the educator audience, the, the people who are in leading and, and communicating, they don't, they're, I'm trying to help them to be more familiar with marketing and branding. And what you're telling them, too, is just this understanding of System 1 and System 2 and how that understanding where, how to behave, uh, where to put their efforts and things like that uh, is important. So uh, I, I thank you for for sharing that yeah definitely i mean you know it's also that we have not enough um um instruments or tools that we we can apply to get people attention so you really have to understand what they think what how they make decisions and how they behave so you can use these tools to actually make an impact and this is actually what i like the most from of behavioral science it tries to make people to help people make the right decision for themselves. So it's not just making them buy, making them, I don't know, whatever, but it's also helping them to make better decisions for themselves now and, and in the long term as well. So, And I, I think people haven't talked to educators, lead educators, or even people in the classroom about, what, about decision making and yeah. what goes into creating that, that bond with people so that they trust you as a decision maker and that they're connecting with you. So um, you learned that at an early age, or you at least were interested in that at an early age. And so um, <laughs> it, it's taken you, and as you say, you traveled to Scotland, you traveled the world. When I met you, you were in Peru. So, so much is happening for a behavioral uh, scientist. This is a great area of study. Yeah, yeah. So, this, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, this is another story kind of yeah. because. I started in Scotland, uh, but yeah, I mean, I was interested not only in applying behavioral science in Europe, uh, now it, we call it the weird countries. So Western, educated, industrialized, and weird, rich and democratic. <laughs> oh. Yeah. 
but I also I was interested in applying it in developing countries and um, basically I started to look for something in LinkedIn always the power of uh, social networks <laughs> to net, to create some new networkings and now I work in Peru uh, well right now because of the coronavirus I'm back home uh, but I still work from home and I work in a company called Euristica, which is a consulting company that applies behavioral science in public and, and private organization in Latin America. So I feel very fortunate. I mean, I, I think that going to Scotland and moving to Peru right now are the best two choices that I have ever made in my life because I'm, I see the potential of this discipline, not only to, to apply it in marketing, but also in so many fields. Um, and I'm really lucky that I kind of understood this um, this potential earlier, although this discipline has mm -hmm. been there for decades yet uh, already. And um, I'm glad that people can now understand how important, important it is to to use behavioral science in their in different fields. Yeah. Yeah. So let's. You're giving us a. a because uh, you are the guide, you're giving us actually where we need to be. So uh, bringing that awareness that when you started this, when you're in high school, things may have just been developing. But so now we're in 2020 and um, you have uh, developed yourself. Uh, I, I like at this point to think about what you know and, and to offer uh, some of your insights into the idea of behavioral science and how you see it uh, being appreciated or manifested uh, and has it been challenged by uh, what's been going on uh, in the global world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that the interest is actually increasing quite a lot. It's growing all over the world. And I have to say, fortunately, because of the coronavirus, I would say, it gave a lot of opportunity. It kind of equalize the opportunities for people because now we have access to so many events that normally would be uh, you would pay for it and instead we have access to it and people can actually learn of so many different things that probably they would never know and being from home and discovering it in different parts of the world which is like something very amazing I think also because for example I'm also learning, so I learn from the experts, and that's a best the best way for me to learn. And I also think that people are kind of understanding that uh, behavioral science give you to like help you to see the world from a different perspective. Normally, we see at the outcome, so how do we achieve the outcome? But in this case, uh, like marketers can can not only see the outcome, for example, uh, your customer have to buy a product or, or in general, uh, people should eat healthy. Uh, but they, but behavioral science help you to see or to understand all the behaviors that lead to the outcome. In this case, do you understand exactly how, how people are behaving, what they're thinking, what motivates them to do something and not just listening to what they think, but also like literally observing it. And this helps you to improve the outcome and giving them the right tool to achieve that outcome. So I think this is probably the best um, the best insight that behavioral science is giving to the world because literally like in my company at Ateristica, we implement it in so different fields. It can be, we, we work with banks, we work with, um, with um, insurance companies, but we also work in the public sector with uh, a lot of like ministry of health, education, and they're starting to see the importance of it. And especially with the coronavirus that we had to learn to change so many so many behaviors because now like we, we had to learn to stay at home we learned to we had to learn to change our habits and this kind of uh nudges which is like the, the theory also behind behavioral science help people to not only to want so to have the intention to make the changes but also to make them in real life so you know, there is this intention behavior gap that it's very hard to fill in and mm. behavioral science can give you this little push to to make it happen. 
And I think Terry and I, see, we're in the States. What you're talking about right now is like you can, that, that gap, the intention, what was it, the intention behavior gap of, because even just the act of wearing a mask here in the United States has become a behavior that is so exactly. disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And, and when people say, and, you know, when you're out and having conversation and people are saying, why can't people just wear the mask? Why can't they just put it on? And to really be get, uh, able to tell them that what they're trying to do is change that very ingrained behavior and the challenge. That's that. So I think you've identified uh, for us an insight. We can probably talk later about that as well. Um, and uh, I will, uh, today, I, well, we had a big debate here last night uh, uh, politi in politics. And Terry knows because I asked him a question earlier when he was doing his other his other uh, presentation. But uh, my name wasn't up there, so I had to let him know I was the one asking the political question. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so thank you uh, so Sylvia thank you for um, your thinking and and you've taken us to a, a, a spot where we now can say okay well let's take a, a bit of a break we'll breathe and then we'll introduce a new driver <laughs> and uh, so I'll get in the back seat and and uh, I will introduce uh, Terry to the same process of, of having uh, us uh, have him adjust the rear view mirror for us and then take us into some insights. So, um, Terry, it's the wheel is yours. Thank you for having me um, into this conversation. I I totally agree with what Sylvia has just said. The adding the behavioral science into marketing. In the past, marketing for you know for the last maybe hundred years, or especially for the last maybe fifty or sixty years, marketing has been growing tremendously. But what really lacking, lacking in the marketing field is the lack of a science, the guidance by science. Marketing has been based primarily based on personal experiences and anecdotal evidence. Somebody did something, say, at Apple, and we're going to move that experience to a home fitness company. It may work. It may not work. But what Apple has been doing is based on their specific products, their specific market, and also there is an iconic figure named Steve Jobs. You cannot really replicate or duplicate that experience, whatever, thing, whatever they did, to move to another company. This is actually based on a personal experience, based on special time, based on circumstances. It's not based on science. That's what's really missing in the marketing field, was, was lacking science. How I did it, how did I get into marketing? I got my degree in, uh, I got my PhD in neuroscience, and also I got a master's in neuroscience. But after that, I somehow I got into marketing. For the last 18 years, I've been in both neuroscience and marketing. But for a long period of time, I had this question, how do you understand what makes people buy? Because in the marketing schools or in the sales training schools, they always teach you how to sell, how to market, based on what you know, but they do not really tell you why people buy. This is where the science of a decision-making comes in. The science can be based on behavioral science, like that's uh, Sylvia's expertise, and can be based on neuroscience, can be based on psychology, can be based on data science. This is a multidisciplinary science that brings in all these sciences into one field to understand how people make decisions especially buying decisions. With the guidance of the science, it makes marketing more predictable. I'll tell you a couple of marketing, spectacular marketing failures. This is actually why science, why science is needed, why understanding why people buy is so important. This is the classic example of a new Coke. New Coke was this landmark product released by Coca-Cola in 1985. Prior to that, Coke had been dominating the market, and then Pepsi came in. Pepsi came up with this very interesting challenge. They call the Pepsi challenge, which is a blind taste testing. You drink two drinks, and you don't know which one you're tasting, and then you figure out which one tastes better. Most people prefer Pepsi. Pepsi used that uh, finding to brag about their products better. The problem was, 
Coca-Cola fell for that trick or gimmick because Coca-Cola did not understand their product actually was, was a, had an emotional attachment to the product. People really like their product not because it tastes good, mm-hmm. because it feels good. They miss the emotional element. Then they released the, they were losing market share in 1985, and then they say, let's change the formula. Came over with new Coke. Literally over 200,000 people taste test the new Coke. They all say, well, majority of them said, I like the new Coke over the uh, traditional classic Coke. Coca-Cola, with a lot of confidence, they rolled out this new Coke. But really, literally within days, people start protesting around the country. They wanting, they're wanting the, the, the old Coke back. Uh, um, and then really a lot of people got anxious. They hoarded pro- co-product. <laughs> I have a friend. Her mom, um, she, rem- she when she watched my t- the, the TED Talk, she said, oh, my mom laughed when she watched your TED Talk because she was one of the hoarders. They went, she actually remembers. They went to a liquor store. They saw five cases of Coke left on the shelf. They said, let's get all of them in the car. It's like toilet paper. <laughs> exactly. Ex- exactly. Like, exactly. Exactly. Like toilet, toilet paper hoarding. And then people started rationing Coke. Coke. They say, I can, I can only drink two cans a day or three cans a day because I have limited supplies of the classic Coke. Coca-Cola headquarters got about 8,000 angry phone calls a day. You really make you wonder why did 200,000 people get it wrong? What they didn't realize was the emotional attachment to the Coke product and to the Coke brand. And then because for really about 100 years, Coke had been marketed as a feel-good product. They had the marketing slogans, have a Coke and a smile, open happiness. This is the real thing. I like to buy the world a Coke. The big celebrities like Marilyn Monroe, the Beatles, Elvis, they're all spokesperson for the, all the spoke people for the, um, for the brand. And they even had a picture. They're advertising and this nurse holding out a can of a Coke. Do you want to feel better? Drink a Coke. It's a feel-good product. It's a feel-better product. They did not realize what Coke really did was they reduced this iconic drink to just taste. They got tripped up by Pepsi, and then they fell for that, and they released the new Coke. They felt um, right under – they just felt um, so miserably. And within 60 days, they brought the old Coke back. And they, they were able to salvage the, 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 the whole thing. And it was, it was a spectacular failure. The reason was they did not understand why people buy the product in the first place. They bought the product not because it tastes sweet, tastes good, it because it makes them feel good. And then later, there's a neuroscience research study that demonstrates this whole thing about Coke makes you feel good. They image the brain. They put brain, people in the brain scanners. And they image their brains to see what happened while they're drinking Coke versus Pepsi. In blind taste testing, no difference. But in when they when the when the volunteers were told, now you're drinking Coke or you're drinking Pepsi, guess what? There's a big difference. Mm. While they're drinking Coke, the emotional part of the brain, the memory part of the brain, and the thinking part of the brain lit up like a Christmas tree. Mm. But in contrast, this elevated brain activity pattern was not seen while people drinking Pepsi. Is the marketing messages by Coke had imprinted our brains with feel-good messages. This will really differentiate between the two brands. One brand, the Coke, is a feel-good brand. When we see that brand, we unconsciously have this unconscious association between feeling good and drinking the product. While drinking Pepsi, not really much going on. This is actually really using science to understand why why this marketing failure happened. This is kind of like bringing science. Now we know. Now you don't you don't see other you know Starbucks is a big company. You don't see other small coffee shop challenging Starbucks brands. Say, hey, come in, our take our coffee tastes better. Mm-hmm. You don't see that anymore because we have learned it's not about taste. Yeah. It's about the experience. Yeah. That's what really happened. So the thing is, when you bring science in to guide marketing, you understand this is not just about one thing, not about a taste. It's about the whole experience. It's about the emotional attachment, the emotional connection to the product, to the brand. 
that really makes marketing more effective. So you can avoid these expensive failures, these mistakes. Wow. I love that you, you explained that case study so beautifully, uh, just about that journey. Uh, and it's a historic journey. You know, I think I had heard or read somewhere along the way that if, if the Coca-Cola company lost every visible commodity, every part of what it is and, and lost it, they would still have a billion dollar proposition because or trillion dollar proposition because of the brand that yes. you're saying, right? So it lives there. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I think just in, in looking at today, so are, do you see the what's happening today is a call maybe more to action for people to, especially since we're all, you know, with our phones and we're all forming communities where we can share. Is it a better, is it a a great time for that neuromarketing piece to come forward because of what's happening today and how we're changing? Yes. I think that's a great question because right now we're, in, in this, in the middle of this pandemic, people's emotions are swinging left and right, up and down. We're seeing so many emotional changes. And one thing, one bad news comes out of the, some of the network that can really drive people to buy something like crazy, like the toilet paper hoarding, like a bottle of water hoarding. And the thing is, this, this is actually the time for business people and marketers to have a better understanding of consumer emotions and how emotions drive people buying decisions because the emotions are amplified by multiple times. And this is why this, this toilet paper hoarding is really interesting kind of a case study. Why do people do that? It was very irrational, just like um, Sylvia said. Sylvia said, this is kind of a, really there's no, no rationality in that buying, buying behavior because at least for the three reasons. First, toilet paper doesn't protect you from anything. Second, there's a no supply shortage. Third, this is the most important one. At the beginning of the pandemic, crowded stores were not where you want to be at because they increase your exposure to the virus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But why do people do it? Because we follow the crowd. Mm. Unconsciously, we follow the crowd. And we see on the news, oh, people are buying toilet paper. Before they even think about it, why they should buy toilet paper. They were out of the door buying toilet paper <laughs> yeah. without even knowing why yeah. they bought toilet paper. We think as marketers, we always think people make rational decisions, but this is the most irrational decision you can ever find, but there's no rationality in it. But because we have these unconscious biases, we follow the crowd and we go with the crowd. And this is the thing in our brain. I can give you a really interesting study about why we follow the crowd. This is a classic study done in 1968, here's the here are two scenarios from the study. This here's the gist of it. I'm not repeating the study verbatim. You put a person, you put a guy in the room to watch a football game, and I know Sylvie in your world, part of the world, the football is different world, different different. Here <laughs> yeah. is American called soccer. Right. Yeah, you you watch a football game. He's there by himself. Then five minutes into it, you pump smoke into the room. The question is, is this guy going to leave the room? 90% chance he's going to leave the room. Second scenario, you put a guy in the room to watch a football game, but this time he's joined by three other guys to watch the game with him. Mm. Five minutes into it, you pump smoke into the room. The question is, is this first guy going to leave the room? It depends. Depends on the other, how will the other three guys do it. If the other three guys stay, the chance of this guy, the first guy leaving the room, drops from 90% to 30%. (laughs) What this study demonstrates is that we certainly can make decisions on our own, but when we're in a social environment, we like to follow the crowd. This is a very natural, very strong bias in our brains, but we just don't know it. This is something we need to bring in science. What can make your product sell? If you can bring bring in the crowd influence, that will make you sell the product. This is exactly how Amazon persuades all its buyers, customers, to buy his product. This is why they put out the reviews, the, the star ratings, and the best sellers, all the labels to persuade you to buy. This is how you use science to increase your sales. Sarah, and Terry, you have so many examples of this. I, 
I, I, you spoke a little bit about that, you know, with the Amazon, with the, the ratings and then the feeling and then knowing too, when you get in a place where, Oh, it doesn't look like there's scarcity here. They may not have enough or, uh, but, but it, it's just, that's, uh, you talked about that and you also talked about um, the, uh, the timing of the website too, to mm-hmm. try to get people um, moving faster. Right. So, so that, that I think in the here and now, um, because maybe our people are so online, that's what companies want to know. Like they're not going to have the opportunity to right now, let people wander through stores and malls. So, so behave. So, so will those people who are, do people look more for that kind of, um, how do we, how do we use the crowd mentality? to to create the 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 drive to to buy whatever it is uh you know so and the crowd is because the crowd is right here all online and we we, right. met, we met three because of the being online right the crowd influence is always there the other thing is actually really interesting is is not about just the size of the crowd, sometimes actually who's in the crowd. If you look at Amazon, Amazon recently did something really interesting. For the reviews, it tells you um, here in America, it, it, it tells you here's the reviewers from the United States. Why do they label that? Make mm-hmm. you make you wonder. Mm-hmm. Because we're influenced by the people who we share something in common with. This is something online, even though we're online, we don't see each other. But if we feel like we're connected with the people, we feel like we're close to them, we're more strongly influenced by those people's opinions. This is why Amazon put in and say, oh, these are the customers from the United States. I bet if Sylvia uh, go on Amazon in Italy, she probably will see, oh, these are the reviewers from Italy. Mm-hmm. They specifically tell you where, which country they are from. That really increase, subconsciously increases influence the, the the reviewers' opinions. This, even though we're all go virtual, we're all online, but we still have all this invis, all these invisible influences really kind of in our head. What kind of what kind of the size of the crowd and also who's in the crowd? Those are the strong influencers. Yes. So this gives us a great opportunity to now just think about what's coming next because the crowd's out there. <laughs> yeah. So I think maybe if we kind of just kind of go after a question together and talk about, you know, so how might we share with with the listener, uh, how might we share uh, something that maybe you see is happening that, that shows some positivity in, in how the uh, – Marketing might have been might be actually learning something because you know marketing sometimes doesn't learn very quickly. So, what, how might we um, be able to share something that is um, you know that has that power? I think for just for me, it's that what I said earlier: the understanding of the fact that you want to uh, be part of the crowd, you want to be in the digital community, and even though you might feel that it's it's not the same fit for you you pretty quickly learn the behaviors of how to bring what you you need so for me i think um i look for more of that so i'm uh how about for you what do you see coming and we can't look so far you know but what's what's looking interesting to you you mean the current environment yeah it, uh, into beyond like let's say what do you think is going to happen over the next year um, what would you be telling your cl- your clients about what they need to do? Mm-hmm. The important things for the next year or two, because we're in the period of uncertainties. We don't really know what's going to happen. And this is something humans have this tendency to get stressed out when they lack predictability. But how do you really sell in an environment or market environment where there's no predictability. Things can swing, the pendulum can swing in so many different uh, directions. I think that the idea is, is try, I think for marketers and for uh, business owners, they really need to think about from a different perspective. Instead of selling their product based on the facts, features, and benefits, they really need to understand what emotions 
my customers are experiencing? Mm-hmm. How do I actually can find a hook into that emotion and to better position myself than my competitors? If everybody just talking about the same thing and your your message is going to be buried in the, in, in the crowd, nobody's going to pay attention to. But if you can stand out and understand people's emotions, maybe they're feared, maybe they're stressed, maybe they're feeling lonely, maybe they're feeling isolated. How do you actually calm them down? How do you actually make them feel better in this uncertain environment? That's going to be a be a tremendous um, differentiator. I give you some examples. We always kind of think, oh, this economy is going to crash. People are going to sp- stop spending. But actually not because people have spending a lot of money. They're just, they're just spending money in different places. People used to travel around the world. Now they don't. Guess what? They save a lot of money. They build a backyard swimming pool. Right. I have a, they, I have a client. They, they build swimming pools. Their yeah. phone is ringing off the hook this year. Right. They right. cannot keep up with the demand. Yeah. And they rather a lot of home remodelers, they cannot really get um, enough people to work for them because the demand is so strong. People are spending more time at home and they want their home to be more comfortable. They save a lot of money because they're not going out to restaurants, they're not doing entertainment, going to theaters, they're not traveling. They have tremendous amount of money saved up to buy things. They can buy. You just really understand how you can sell, how you can make them comfortable. If we're all staying home, how do you make their staying comfortable? We're feeling, facing so many uncertainty. And how do you can make them feel, give them a little bit of certainty, give them a little more predictability? That's going to how you get your market, marketing message across. Yeah, benefits. make Just benefits, benefits all the way, right? Yeah. That answer. How about you, Sylvia? What do you what what do you see? Is it this, yeah. uh, different? I, I completely agree with what Terry said because it's like especially right now, we're extremely changing. Like normally everything changes around us, our preference changes, but right now we're kind of forced to change. And therefore companies really have to adapt to this change. And I really think that's one of the main reasons why it's so important to understand these factors that facilitate or also um, prevent uh, people to make behaviors. So you have to understand what's going on. Like sometimes, especially in um, the in the UX world, people create customer journeys map to understand exactly what in there in this process, what's going on, what's going on in a specific touch point where the consumer is interacting uh, with, uh, with the brand, with the product, with the service. And this helps you, like if you really understand what's going on there, it can help you understand why it's not buying, why it doesn't go forward or uh, why abandon the process altogether. So I think creating this kind of maps helps you to 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 increase the the, the experience of the of the clients uh, they can really have like they can get a lot from the experience you are offering them uh, they can make better the decisions like there is an example of uber uh, where they actually facilitate you so they try to make the experience as smooth as possible by like also deleting some of the steps, so making the, the buying so easy, as easy as possible. But sometimes you also have to think that people are rushing when they're getting a taxi. So there can be anything around that, around them. So the context can actually influence what they're doing, how they're feeling. As Terry said, all the emotion that this can create, not just the experience with the, the app, but also what's going on in their environment. And therefore, sometimes Uber has to increase the prices and people also cannot actually see how much they're going to pay because it's so easy to to just book a taxi. And in this case, when you realize that you're, you paid, I don't know, a 25 euros to just do 100 meters, which is oh. an exaggeration, but still, like when you realize that you did something that you didn't want to do, that brings to regrets and a lot of negative emotions, which can have a big effect on also the reputation of the company and the brand itself. So I think it's very important to understand that in this case, when you're increasing the prices, for example, as Uber does in some points, you have to um, 
create, uh, like in behavioral science, we say that you have to increase the hassle factor. So in this case, you make a decision point for the client, uh, for your customer, where for example, there's a pop-up saying, you're going to pay this amount of money. Is that okay for you? So you make them conscious of their of their, of their choice. Because as we said before, sometimes and most of the time, we use the system one to make decisions, which help us in some cases, but sometimes we don't realize what we're doing. And the companies have this big power to make people uh, make better decisions uh, that can benefit them. I love sure. Ed, I love this uh, of really making people aware. And uh, you both of you have been such good influences for me. I'm I'm actually going to have a new website in a couple of weeks. And one of the things I wanted to test out is that kind of thing. You know, can you tell me on the website, you know, uh, how you're feeling so that I can then answer something to you? So I think that I was learning about that kind of way of marketing now to try to, as Terry says, like get right into the emotion, get right into the feeling of. And so um, I'm just saying that even for a small business person like myself, you can use it in a big way. So I'm, I'm thanking you for your insights. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of uh, move us into the closing the journey. And, but before we do, uh, I always ask my guests, uh, it, it was until really today, until I heard Terry talking about color um, and, and the power of color. And people were so interested in it when you were discussing. You had a follow-up question on that. So uh, do you have a particular um, emotion around the color that you that helps you? Um, the, the, um, the listeners are just listening. They're not seeing it. But it, behind me is my color. Like red is a big color for me. <laughs> And um, I, I use it to to really um, for boldness. I think. How about how about you guys? Uh, what what do you think, Terry? What would your color be? My color is bright orange. Ah. The reason is and this: it's it's safety color. I'm a runner. I go outside running. It's like I'm wearing a stop sign, <laughs> but still, most people don't stop for me. <laughs> but at least. The bright, the bright orange jumps out. It's, it makes me feel safe. And then then became my favorite color. I just recently bought a car. It's a bright orange car. Oh, wow. <laughs> because on the road, they can see you better than a black car or than a gray car. Because that split second, they can recognize you. That can be a difference between safe driving or an accident. Yes. I, it's a safety. I love it. And I love how you describe it because actually – a guest I had a, a gentleman two sessions ago, he said orange and he had a completely, of course, different reason. He said it is the most, it complements other colors so well. So as, as a, you got it as a standalone and then he's seeing it as it's making a complementary piece. So I love it because you can just see even in discussion of color, how we're affected by, uh, by the, the emotions and perceptions. Sylvia, and I am, I have to add that in this case, um, colors are very subjective, although we're talking with an expert in neuromarketing and also colors, but my favorite color is actually orange. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, like it's been in my life since forever because my mom, for every uh, birthday, she gives me orange roses. So I always I kind of like indirectly liked it. But for example, for me, it's mostly related with optimism and like it gives me the energy, the strength to to keep on going towards my goals, you know. And I really believe that it's such a like very happy color, like it makes positive like people, makes positive me. So it, it's really, yeah, it's subjective, I have to say, because it's three people with three different interpretations. Interpretations, <laughs> but I love to because... Terry, actually, I mean, when you go into system two and you buy that orange car. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did. Yeah. And, and how you commit to it. Um, it's great. And uh, all I could say is um, maybe one day in the future, we can go to Minnesota, Sylvia, and we can catch a ride with Terry. Yeah. In the car. <laughs> we definitely have to. Absolutely. I love to have you girls come over here. Yeah. Yes, and we will we'll just be so happy. We'll all uh we'll all jump in that orange car and we'll take a, a, a terrific journey. And I have to say 
just, I think uh, if it's a, an FFT, the first freaking time we've done anything, uh, Brene Brown says, <laughs> I think this is working. I don't, I don't, it, it, it's working. I'll say to people who are listening because the people who are on the call are just great humans, H2H, human to human people. And uh, I, I liked uh, the opportunity of trying something out with both of these lovely people. So I want to thank um, you. So before we close, I want to say Terry, yes, has a TED Talk. That's the first thing that I saw. And when I use uh, Terry's uh, voice in class, I've already started to uh, use that. So Terry, do you want to, let's each of you just tell us where we can reach you, where we can see you and get in contact. And I'll put it into the show notes too. So, so uh, Terry, what like for you? So, oh, you can reach me at my website is uh, neuromarketingservices.com. You can find my website. I'm uh, available on LinkedIn as well. If you would like to check out the TED Talk I gave about a year ago, you can go to YouTube, look for Neuromarketing TED Talk. You'll find it. It's 17 minutes. It's a brief summary of what neuromarketing is all about, how to understand human emotions in their buying decisions. And I, I plan to use that when I do my uh, presentation for one hour for uh, educational leaders in New, Jer New Jersey to get them to understand this idea of how you are working with people who are always um, looking at you for making, helping them to make decisions. So it's going to be a good tool for those people. Sylvia, I know where we, you also yeah. put anything, but let's, where do we see you? Yeah, you can, like, people can definitely reach me out on LinkedIn. I'm, you can just uh, add me and we can have a nice chat. I'm very open for networking. And uh, you can see also my, my talk about how to apply behavioral science in digital platform. It can be found in the uh, social network of Heuristica, the company I work with, or also also email LinkedIn profile. So. Okay. so I will make sure that people have that in uh, the show notes as well. So uh, it's been a great journey. And I guess we were in an orange car. We'll just say we were. Definitely orange car. <laughs> we were yeah. In the orange car. And thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to uh, more conversations, growing our network together. And for the uh, listener, please take advantage of uh, learning from wonderful people like uh, Terry and Sylvia, and they're welcoming to you. So I hope you enjoyed our ride with uh, all of us together in the car. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you. And I always say at the end of my podcast, this is new, my new tagline, I look forward to seeing you all on the digital road. That's so That's a good great tagline. to see you here. Thank you so much, Trish. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a yep. good day. Thank Bye, you. Trish. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Yep.